This is the Tao of Christ, and I'm Marshall Davis. In this podcast, I explore the mystical roots of Christianity, which Jesus called the Kingdom of God, which church historian Evelyn Underhill called the Unit of Life, and which Richard Rohr calls the Universal Christ, and which I refer to as Christian non-duality, unitive awareness, or union with God. This is the Tao of Christ. Good morning, this is Marshall Davis. This is actually Sunday morning, early in November. I would ordinarily be on my way to church right about now, but all the churches around here have stopped meeting outside, and they've gone inside or they've gone online, and uh, I don't feel comfortable going inside, and online just doesn't seem the same as in person. So instead, I'm with you recording this episode. I'm looking at the Gospel of John as an expression of Jesus' Gospel of non-duality. In chapter 3, Jesus has his famous conversation with, with Nicodemus about being born again. Jesus says to this religious leader, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus was referring to his spiritual awakening that happened at his baptism which was a rebirth by water and spirit. That was his awakening or his enlightenment. Spiritual awakening is what it means to be born again. It's not an evangelical conversion experience. I've already explored this topic about what it means to be born again in previous episodes, so I'm not going to go back over it. If you are interested in that conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, you can go to my episode entitled Born Again, Unborn Always. I talk about Jesus' baptism as spiritual awakening in the episode The Enlightenment of Jesus Christ. Today, I'm going to move on to what it says immediately afterwards. It's part of the same narrative. I'm going to deal with the even more famous verse, of John 3.16. If there is one verse that Christians, especially evangelical Christians, know by heart, it is this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This verse is interpreted by Christians to mean that God loved us enough to offer Jesus on the cross as a sacrifice for sins. And if we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, then we are saved from judgment in hell and are guaranteed a place in heaven after we die. But when we look at the verse and the context of this chapter, what came immediately before, we see that's not what it means. There's no mention here of the cross or sacrifice for sin. There is no mention of accepting Jesus into our hearts. There is no mention of Jesus as Lord and Savior. There is no mention of going to heaven after we die. All that is read into the passage by Christians. This verse is found here in the context of spiritual awakening. And that's what it's talking about. So let's look at the verse. First of all, it is about God's love for the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. This verse extols unconditional love. 
not God choosing a few elect souls while condemning the rest to burn in hell. The very next verse says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge, some translations say to or condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. It is explicitly speaking against judgment or condemnation. The passage goes on to say that judgment is of our own making. It says, and this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. This is talking about ignorance and spiritual blindness, not being able to see the light. It's talking about people who are ignorant of the kingdom of God, which is right there before their eyes now. This is the message of unconditional love to all the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Giving his Son means sending Christ into the world. As the first letter of John says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. God giving his Son is not God killing his son, using a barbaric act of torture. How can anyone call torturing and killing anyone, especially your son, an act of love? The execution of Jesus was an act of religious hatred and violence. The phrase, only begotten son, is used by most Christians as proof that Christianity alone is the true religion. They say that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, whereas the founders of the other faiths are merely human religious leaders. That makes, in their minds, Christians number one. Exclusivist interpretations like this use other verses out of context to bolster the claim, such as Jesus' famous words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That verse is interpreted to mean that only Jesus is the truth and only Christians have Jesus. Nothing could be further from the truth. When Christ says in the Gospel of John that no one comes to the Father but through him, he's speaking as the eternal Christ. As the Logos introduced to us at the very beginning of the Gospel of John. All Christ's words in the Gospel of John are Christ speaking as the Logos, as the pre-existent, eternal, cosmic, universal Christ. Christ is saying that the only way is through his eternal nature as Logos, as the Word, as I Am, the Word which the prologue says enlightens every person who comes into the world. The phrase only begotten is best translated as one and only. That is how most English translations render it. One and only refers to the original one and only, oneness, from which the universe came, which others refer to as non-duality. The prologue of John's Gospel says that everything was made through this one. Many Christians assume, though, that this phrase only begotten Son is a reference to the physical birth of Jesus, and especially his virgin birth. They say that Jesus was sired 
by God the Father. And that's the only time this ever happened in history, they say, which makes Jesus God's only begotten Son. That's not what only begotten Son means. Any Christian theologian or pastor who's gone to seminary, for that matter, who is familiar with church history and the early church councils and creeds knows this. This phrase does not refer to the virgin birth of Jesus. Christian theologians say that Christ was begotten before all ages. The Nicene Creed says, We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds. Some translations say before all ages. Light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. This begottenness of the eternal Christ is from eternity. It's not talking about the physical birth of Jesus of Nazareth. This is the universal Christ who is the one from which all else comes, including all other sons and daughters of God. This one and only Son gives us power to become children of God, born of God, the prologue of John says. Now let's get to what it means to believe in Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting life, better translated eternal life, is unitive awareness. Believing in Christ is trusting this awareness. When Christians, especially the conservative and evangelical variety, talk about believing in Christ, what they mean is receiving Jesus into their hearts and thereby beginning a personal relationship with Jesus. This always involves at least an elementary understanding of who Jesus is and what he did. But notice that none of that is mentioned in this chapter. These ideas are imported into the text by Christians who then read it out of the text without being aware of their circular reasoning. The word believe is not about believing things about Jesus. To believe in means to have faith in, to trust in, or entrust oneself to. It means to give oneself to completely so that there is no self left to give. The Greek text actually says believing into him. Believing into the eternal Christ means going into. It means giving oneself to the one and only. It means surrendering to the primordial oneness that is the eternal logos that we see in Jesus. Who in the Gospel of John calls himself, I am. It's not talking about a one-time event sometime in the past, the way that Christians interpret it as, as conversion. Not to get too Greeky here, which is always a temptation for us preacherly types who study Greek in seminary, but the Greek word for believe used here is present active participle, indicating an active ongoing action in the present. It is best translated believing something going on now. It's, it is the now. 
whoever believing in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I do this every day in meditation and throughout the day. In meditation, I let my thoughts settle enough to see clearly. And then I notice presence, unitive awareness, the ground of being that is the constant background of life. And when this appears, I relax into it. I lean into it, leaning back into him. I entrust my small human self, my psychological self, into this eternal presence, which is Christ. When I fall back into Christ, I cease to be myself, and I see the world as the true self, who is Christ. I liken this to being on a boat in one of the clear freshwater lakes here in New Hampshire. When I'm on the boat, I'm aware of the water beneath me and all around me that's upholding me, although it's easy to get distracted and forget about that. But I can stop and I can jump into the fresh, cool water. That's what meditation is. I take the time to be consciously aware of non-dual reality that is always in the background all the time. I sit down to meditate and I dive into it. I like entrusting myself to the water. That dive is faith. That is believing into the eternal Christ. That is believing in the name of I am. That is non-dual awareness. This action is not an action that the little human self does. It is ceasing to act as a self. It's wu-wei, non-action, or wei-wu-wei, action without action. That's what Taoism calls it. This non-act of relaxing back into reality is faith. It is believing. It is trusting. Life is seen as eternal life, divine life, everlasting life. When one leans into one's true nature, the distinction between oneself and Christ disappears. One is just a drop of water in the lake. There's only Christ, which the New Testament says is all and in all. To know this is eternal life. As the final words of this chapter says, the one who believes in, believes into the Son, has eternal life. God so loves the world that he gives his one and only Son that whoever believing in him does not perish, does not die when the human self or human body dies, but has everlasting life now. That's what John 3.16 means. And that's it for today. Grace and peace to you. That is the Tao of Christ for today. Thank you for listening. 
You can access other episodes of this podcast at thedowofchrist.com. You can also find these podcasts in video format at my YouTube channel at christiannonduality.net. My blog, Spiritual Reflections, can be found at marshalldavis.us. There you will also find a link to my books and my email address. Join me next time for another episode of The Tao of Christ.